Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Everybody, welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast. I am still Scott Curtis, and today I've got Garrett Elzinga with me. How are you doing, Garrett? I'm doing well. This is the sound of my voice. Yes, you, it sounds exactly like I remember. So this Perfect. Is, <laughs> um, I will mention that we are in a current COVID-19 situation. For people who listen to this after the fact, hopefully there still is a podcast after the fact and the ability to listen to them. But, I mean, uh, even if there's not, I just hope we're still alive. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> It's it's weird right now, so we're uh, we're getting through it the best way we can. Do you know how many cases you have? You're in Indiana, right, Mishawaka? Yeah. Do you know how many cases you have in Indiana? It was, I think, it was tw- like two thousand five hundred and thirty six verified. Okay. That was as of this morning. Yeah, we're about we're around there right now too. And we're I think we're up to fourteen deaths right now. I think we had. Oh, maybe it's like 18, something like that. Yeah. I can't remember. It's so crazy how it just keeps refreshing. Like you can hit refresh and it's like more deaths, more people. Yeah. And it start, it's starting to hit home. I think it, it was about a week ago that um, somebody said within within a few days, you are going to personally know somebody that has it. And yep. and, and we do. Um, we're not talking about who it is, but we do know somebody in the family that has it. So. And I've got an 81 year old dad that just a few days ago decided that he should probably stay home. So, so. yeah, just a few days ago, like that. That's the problem is that no, I feel like not enough people are taking it seriously. Right. And that's the reason that we're seeing exponential growth. And then people keep saying it's because, you know, there's more test kits. So more people are being tested, more people are being positive. But that also means that, you know, people are still not taking it seriously. Yeah you know, a month ago or two months ago. So mm. I don't know, whatever. Call me crazy. I don't know anything. Well, um, the way I like to explain it is if you don't understand exponential growth, uh, right wingers, then think about compound interest because mm-hmm. it's, it's the same thing. <laughs> well, they know about that yeah. for sure. They're the ones freaking out about the economy. Yeah. So well, there's no economy if there's no people. That's right. So. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're the ones that have to buy stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, so I did want to go into how I uh, came across you. So my wife and I decided to check out Dr. Grin's, which is in Grand Rapids. The Good top, choice. The top floor of the Bob when Nathan McIntosh was there and you were the host. And mm-hmm. I was blown away by your hosting, uh, your hosting ability. I mean, I you were like everything a host should be. And ah. I, I've never really... I. I guess I'd never really seen that before. And I've been to clubs in Chicago and stuff like that. And it seems like the, in, in that case, the host just kind of got thrown in there and 
they're doing the best they can, but that that's not really what, what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could tell that that is something you do and you strive to do it well. Yeah. It's like, once you take the, so there are a lot of clubs across the country, they'll just have, um, a person MC and it's a rotating thing of hosts. But mm-hmm. then what Dr. Grins does is they have the house MC. So I'm, I'm, employed basically to do that but if i'm gone i'll have a replacement uh so it's like it's a job title and it's one that you if you choose to take it very seriously which i do i i want the shows to go well my whole job is to make the show go off without a hitch Mm -hmm. but i also think that me being myself on stage is the best way to do that in being just a regular stand-up comedian and then also being the mc so it's just something that I try to be proud of. And really what you do, and if you're not a comic, you don't understand this. Uh, when you are doing a show, there is always a percentage of the audience who wants to be part of the show. Mm-hmm. And they want to talk. They want to they do their thing and say how it's their birthday or whatever. And uh, you don't want them doing that when the headliner's up there. And, yes. And what you do so expertly is let them get it out and, and it gets, it gets all out there. You give them the attention that they want and then they will be quiet for the rest of the show. And that's what, that's what I thought was, it was like an art for you. I mean, you just, it just seemed like it was natural and yet you shut everybody up for the rest of the show. Well, I mean, once you lay the groundwork, like I literally tell people, I'm like, my job is to get your talking out of the way. So by the time the next comic goes on, you like that comic more. So I I say that I lay the groundwork. I tell them what I'm doing. So if there are interruptions throughout the show, then you're an asshole. You're you're the one that's ruining it for everybody. And the crowd can turn on that person. So it's it's almost I mean, and that's kind of how I've. I didn't used to do this, but I, I would blow up on hecklers before, but now I kind of, I take it and I'm like, I'm going to make you look dumb. So then the rest of the crowd doesn't like you, but mm. even in like a feature or a headline set, it's, it's such a nice tool to have and to be able to utilize. So that's, it's definitely helped me in that field. Right. Right. Well, you know, and I just have to say, you you were just one of those guys that stuck out to me. Um, uh, Stu McAllister was a feature for that show, and he stuck out to me, too. So I'm going to reach oh, out right. to him sometime. You but, should. Stu was, uh, he was the house MC for 10 years at Dr. Grin's. Wow. And I took it, I took it over from him. Uh-huh. Um, and my plan was to do it for five, and I have lost track of how long I've been doing it. Yeah. Um, but uh, with, with Corona, I, I've been off for, you know, approaching a month. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't, maybe it'll be five years and a month to make up for it. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it's just a mess right now, but when I, uh, after I saw you, I made a mental note to see what you're all about. And the funny thing is, is, uh, you know, I friend request you on Facebook because that's mm-hmm. what comics do. And, um, you put out, it was very soon after that you put out the, uh, bullet biter sessions album and, yeah, and the it's called bullet biter the mc sessions and you know i bought that like day of and i really appreciate that yeah and i 
you know, the funny thing is, is I buy it and I still listen to it on Spotify if it's there because it's easy for me. But Oh, I mean, I, that, that's what I'll tell anybody. If you want to listen to it, that's great. But yeah. I, I, it, I, it's genuinely appreciated if people buy it and then they stream it as well, because yeah. then you've given me the money, but you've also like, you know, getting streaming and then more people see that. So therefore there's more money being, it's a cent at a time yeah. if it's streamed, but yeah. you know, it's all appreciated. Yeah, and I, I, I listened to it, and I was like, "This is, this is an uh, an album that should be given to like every new comic." And because guess what, you're gonna MC at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. No, no matter who you are, you're gonna, you're gonna, if you want to get anywhere in the business, you're gonna MC sometime. And it's just so perfect. I mean, the first half of the album is showing your prowess at MCing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. And getting getting through the uh um what is it the the bridal parties and the yep. uh um birthdays and the anniversaries and just just people talking because they want to talk and then you get into the second half of your actual material which is fantastic and I just I listened to that a few times through and I just started telling people you you got to get this if if you're interested in comedy this is like a mc 101 uh for you and you need to follow it thank you i mean i just wanted to do something that i know no one has ever done before so you know i've i've i know comics who have pieced shows together um from like a feature set where it's Mm -hmm. this is my 45 minute album and you know it's pieced together from you know a couple 20 minutes so if anyone doesn't know there's the mc that hosts the show there's the feature the middle act so they go up for about 25 to 30 minutes roughly and then the headliner closes the show they do 45 to an hour Mm -hmm. so if you're a feature you're getting that 25 30 minutes or whatever but you're splicing it together so i took that idea and then i did it. it was like well no one's ever done an mc thing but then also no one's ever admitted that they've emceed a show. So I'm like, I'm just going to fully lean into it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's literally no one's ever done it before. Yeah. I, I checked, I Googled, I made sure. So this is like, <laughs> it's like a stamp on the history of comedy. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is. And I was, I was so impressed and I just, uh, I thought, man, you are like the perfect, perfect person to be on this podcast because this, that's what it's all about. Learning how to be a good comic and thank uh, you so uh you know with that out of the way i wanted to kind of dig into who you are so did you grow up um in uh grand rapids area i did yep little outside there's a small town called marn michigan that's where i'm from and uh i guarantee the whole city voted red so Uh (laughs) for me to get out it's pretty great yeah (laughs) but um i do live in grand rapids now i've moved all over but uh, yeah, Grand Rapids is home. Okay, I uh, I I have to ask because I've been watching the clips that you were posting, and you posted a clip from I think it was six years ago um, for oh, yeah. from Sunday Night Funnies, and I have to say you don't look any different in that clip than you look now. So I have to ask, how old are you right now? I'm yeah. I just turned twenty nine. Okay, okay. And you have been doing comedy for quite a while. How long have you been doing it? 14 years this April. Okay. So since you were, I mean, you're like Gilbert Gottfried's start. Uh, yeah. Bill Hicks, Dave Chappelle, those are all 
Like I would hear about how young these guys were and I'm like, well, why can't I do it? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Hicks was, I think, 13 at a church camp. I'm like, why, why can't I start, you know? Mm-hmm. So now, I tried to start as young as possible. Now, were you in that little town when you uh, started? I was living, uh, so my mom, my parents got divorced and my mom would move all over. Um, so I can't even remember where I was at at that point. Yeah. I think I was living out in like Lamont, which is outside of Coopersville. Okay. Um, which is outside of Mar. It's all these small little, you know, kind of podunk towns, yeah. but, uh, yeah. So it's just, it's the easy thing where people are like, Oh, Detroit. Oh, we're in Detroit, Royal Oak. Like it's, it's not right. it's Detroit proper, I guess, but it's like a smaller suburb type town. So, yeah, but yeah. So you started doing that, and what type of stage did you work on when you were like 14, 15? I, uh, so high school talent shows, and so every year I would do the talent show, and then I would uh, go to Dr. Grin's mm-hmm. Comedy Club. So I would go in there with the, you know, the M's on the hands at 15, and then there were some other open mics that started around maybe three years in that I was going to. So Sunday night funnies was another one of those early rooms, Mm -hmm. but yeah, cool. Not a lot. Yeah. How did, how did doing comedy, you know, actual talent show, stand up comedy in high school, how did that affect your life in high school? Not much. I mean, I wouldn't get beat up, uh, but I would still Mm -hmm. get teased Mm -hmm. by, you know, the jocks and whatever, but Mm -hmm. it was, it's just that having humor, it's that kind of thing where you're able to focus on other than, you know, getting made fun of. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the the thing to get me out of those situations. Right. You know, that is so funny. And I don't like to talk about myself a whole lot on this, but I just, uh, right, right before everything got shut down, I did a storyteller thing that a um, guy in Michigan invited me to. And it was like my first storytelling and mm-hmm. while I was writing that story, um, it was it was uh, two stories about the first time I smoked pot, and um, in seventh grade um, when I was uh, bullied really bad, and I looked at what happened during that time, and right about the time I decided that you know I I found out I had rage issues on on this bullying stuff, and mm-hmm. I didn't take any crap. I went after them, and I went after them to the point where I wanted to hurt them, and I knew I had to get a handle on that, and I used the class clown thing as a way to um, get people not to pick on me. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that was why I did it until I wrote the story. And it's kind of funny because it sounds like kind of the same thing with you that, you know, it, it got you out of some, out of some of the stuff. And, you know, I kept doing it all the way through my senior year. And, um, but then, you know, I didn't do anything comedy wise for, you know, like another 30 years. So, um, but it's, it's, it's funny how I wonder how many class clowns, I wonder if that was their defense mechanism. And that's, you know, that's how it got them where they were. I mean, it could be a lot of class clowns that I know. I I would never say I was like, okay, so when you say class clown, would you act out like towards the teacher and everything like that and disrupt class? Or would you? Yeah, I was more of a disruptor. Ah, okay. So I I never had that. Well, uh, let me rephrase that. I had that in elementary school and it's a lot of stuff that people would say, oh, he's, um, 
uh, ADD, like ADHD. Mm-hmm. I, I think I had that kind of thing, but I didn't have that. My, it was just like my parents were going through divorce. I was acting out and all that stuff. And then I had a great teacher in fourth grade. So, okay. So I don't think I've ever said this on a podcast before, but oh. my earlier classes, like, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, all the way, I had to have um, like an evaluation of my behavior. So every day the teacher would observe me. So at the end of the day, I'd have on a sticky note what my word was for the day. So the word would be like, it would range from terrible to perfect. So I'd have like, you know, a a terrible day where I acted like an asshole or I had a perfect day where I was a good kid. Mm -hmm. So that was like two years. It was, it was, it's crazy that that was what I had to have. But then they transferred that over to my fourth grade year. And my fourth grade teacher was like, I don't know why they have you doing this because you're a great student. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was like, yeah, cause I like you, you're a good teacher. <laughs> yeah. I like this teacher. I'm fascinated by how she's teaching. So you're keeping my interest. And that's once again, I, I hate that idea of like the no child left behind because I think that every child learns differently and, th- and that's what we need to cultivate as a nation. So, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, the, the times that I was acting out is just because I was uninterested in what we were learning mm-hmm. and, um, or how we were learning, I guess. Yeah. But then when I went into, you know, later grades, uh, I'd have teachers that loved me and teachers that hated me. And I know they had like talks in the break room and they're like, man, I hate Garrett. And the other teacher's like, oh, I love Garrett. It's yep. crazy. Yeah. So uh, but then when I got into high school, I would kind of channel that into trying to be funny as like a sniper rather than the disruptor. Mm-hmm. So I'd wait for the opportunity to say something, say it, people would laugh. And then I'd like hang back in the shadows and wait again. Uh-huh. And I feel like <laughs> that has kind of transferred to how I am now. You know, right. I don't like really being the center of attention unless I'm able to say something and then I can hang back. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, I'm a lot like you in the, you know, if I respected my teacher and thought that they were doing a good job and I felt like I was actually learning from them, I left them alone. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the ones that I felt like weren't, weren't doing what they were supposed to do, I would go on full attack mode and yep. spend a lot of time in detention. Well, I, yeah, I never, I mean, I got in detention one time for calling a kid a pervert because he was trying to touch a girl's butt on the monkey bars. Uh-huh. I got, I got in trouble as well. And then, uh, yeah, oh boy, we had, our detention was called the opportunity room. Oh, okay. um, and it's like opportunity to do what, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hated it. But yeah, it was, it, it's so weird. And then I also liked teachers that the general consensus was that kids hated those teachers. I'm mm. like, well, I love this teacher. What are you talking about? So it was, it, it's just very strange. Right. At what point did you say, okay, I want to be a comic and I want this to be part of my life? Uh, I think I was 14. I was listening to a lot of, um, you know, comedy albums and, uh, watching Comedy Central present specials all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, HBO and Showtime, they would used to do this thing where like for a week you would get the channels for free for some reason if you were a cable subscriber. Mm-hmm. So I would watch the Young Comedian specials and the Dangerfield specials and stuff like that. So yeah, about around 13, 14. Okay. And it was just something to bury myself into. Right. And pay, and like... Which, which of those uh, comics really stood out to you and you just thought oh, I want to be like them. Uh, ironically enough, Bill Hicks and Dane cook. And okay. I know that those <laughs> do not go together yeah. at all, 
but I just loved the I loved the innovation of Dane Cook because it's it's marketing that no one had ever done before yep. and it's also it was like that nostalgia thing that I couldn't even relate to. Like I didn't have a speak and spell as a kid, but mm-hmm. for some reason it just it really spoke to me. It was this goofy voice thing. I use goofy voices in my act. Um and and Bill Hicks is very I I know people will find this crazy, but he's very similar in that he's talking about serious things like war and the news and religion, but making it palatable for people uh, and, you know, being silly at times. Mm -hmm. He he took himself very seriously, but also not a lot of the times. Right. Uh, So there's some of the videos that you can search out on YouTube of, you know, sets from, you know, I don't know, 1989, 1990, like these, these earlier mid before the, you know, the end, basically, if you don't know, Bill Hicks died, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, just like serious, but silly. And I feel like the ability to blend those kind of things, I think that's what can, you know, not to use a political term, but, you know, reach across the aisle kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And I, I had a, it's funny, you you talk about Bill Hicks and um, you know, I, I think we both uh, think Stuart Huff is one of the best guys working today. And, oh, he's the best living comic today. Yeah, and hundred percent. And I feel like you know, I I had a conversation on another interview where I where I said that um, I feel like, and I think that's the one that comes out tomorrow or on Friday, actually. Yeah, uh, I felt like um, just like music that in most cases a um, comedian is not somebody who changes the world, um, but somebody who tells you what the world is like at any given time. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and the guy I was talking to was, a a PhD and has written a couple books and he said, so, um, a, a um, a burner instead of a, instead of a thermometer. Um, and, and then we talked about certain comics that actually did move the world forward, you know, like, like a George Carlin. And I, I sure. feel like, um, you know, Stuart Huff and, uh, Bill Hicks are two of those people who in their small way are moving people forward with the way that they, they put the philosophy into their comedy and make people think, and it sticks with them after they left. I agree with that. I I agree with the idea that too. um, And when I say making it silly, I don't mean dumbing it down. No, not at all. And just sticking to your gut. Like, because, uh, you know, Stuart's got jokes that you're like, oh God, that's silly. That's so funny. But um, it's not dumbing it down. Uh, What was I going to say? Oh yeah. So a good, what, what was the, what was the thing that you said? A good comic is not, um, well, and and I, and I don't mean that a comic's not good if they are just, Oh yeah. They're just reflecting what's going on in the time. It's just like the music in the sixties. It it didn't really change anything, but when when you go back to the sixties and you listen to that music, you know, um, you know, shit was going down and yes. And, but, um, the same thing with comedy. There's a few that really kind of push the envelope enough that maybe they change some minds and uh, mm-hmm. made people think in, in, in a different way. But um, most comics are just, okay, this is what's going on today. This is what's, or their personal comics. This is what's going on in my life and, and stuff like that. They are basically entertaining. And, yes. and people like, you know, Hicks and Stu, um, they, you know, they just, uh, they're different. And 
I feel like I feel like maybe you kind of delve into that a little bit as well after I've watched a few of your videos. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I know I haven't peaked writing wise, but I'm always striving to get there. Mm. And I know Stuart with the last couple of hours that he's had have been completely different than the first, you know, 20 years of him doing comedy. Yes. So uh, the one thing that I did want to say was um, I love the idea of they're they're not changing the world, um, but they're changing someone's perception of it. They're telling you how the world is, but they're changing that person's perception. Yes. That's, that's what I love. Yep. And that's, that's a very good way to put it. And, you know, I, you know, I could talk about Stu all day, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I, um, just, I just love him and think he's, he's one of the best guys out there. I, you know, I, and I see a little, little bit of that in yours. And you just said something that I want to make sure everybody understands. You've been doing comedy for 15 years and you said you're not at the peak of your writing yet. Yeah. And well, I mean, half the battle is accepting that you're never, you're never done until you're done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So you won't like, I, there's bits that I'll like, I'll be going through these videos and I'm like, Oh, I forgot about this bit. I should really write that down. Cause I'll just forget. You mm-hmm. just forget that you said something one time. Yep. Trust me, so. it's a lot worse when you're in your 50s. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I can't wait till I get that point, and hopefully I have, you know, a Netflix special. Yeah, no doubt. I actually carry a little pocket recorder around with me um, that uh, I talk into because, first of all, I can't get to my phone in time. The thought will leave me, and I can just hit the hit the on button and, and speak into it, and then I don't forget stuff. That's the only way I can do it now. <laughs> do you have a time that you set aside to kind of listen to the stuff that you said, do you record your sets as well? Yeah, I do. I do record my sets now. Um, at least 90% of them and, uh, mostly, mostly just audio, but I'll do video once in a while too. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, um, those things that I, that I speak in the recorder every day, I just take them and write them down. And, um, I've been dabbling with doing everything digital now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I like it as well, but, um, I like the fact that if I can put it on one note, I can pull up on my phone and make changes and I can, um, put, get on my computer and make changes and stuff like that. So I, I kind of like that. And I, I, I write for, um, my day job too. And, you know, I'm always at the computer so I can just flip over into my comedy one note and put stuff down and make changes and stuff like that. But I also like the fact of writing stuff down longhand because you remember it better. I completely agree with that. I'm trying to get better at doing that. I have, I have so much more time now, but at the same time, I'm like, I've put effort into other things that I wouldn't have done before. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just a constant trying to get better one of these days. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I don't want to dwell on this COVID-19 thing, but ever since we've been quarantined, um, I have not been able to write. And yeah. I, Cause you're not experiencing life. Yeah. All these people are like, I can't wait to write. And I'm like, you're not going to be writing anything. You should be editing everything. Yeah. You should be revising everything. Cause I, you're, cause anything you write now is going to be written by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, tweet it. Sure. Facebook it, send it out. Yeah. If you can string it all together into an actual bit that you can bring to the stage. But I mean, I got friends from high school that are saying funnier things than comics are right now. Yeah. <laughs> so 
It's like it's every every thought you have right now because of what's happening. It's been thought and said yeah. a million times. Yeah. So you're gonna have to experience life again before you can write something that's relevant. Yeah, yeah. I uh, it, and it, it's hard because I you know I finally feel like I you know I really want to and I'm like I I just don't have it and uh, some of it's worry. You know I got you know I got kids all you know kids mm-hmm. south kids east and uh my dad and stuff like that so you know so, some of it's worry and you know the uncertainty of it and it's just hard it's hard to um sit down and write so i'm channeling my energy energy into hustling to get people on the podcast so that mm-hmm. i can talk to you guys and you can uh get get me going down the right path and well, I will say I will say something. I think that if you have those those worries and those anxieties, if you tap into that emotion, then yeah. you'll be able to focus on all the things that are around it and not just the COVID thing. Yeah. So if you sit aside and you're like, okay, this makes me feel this way. Why does this make me feel this way? What about this? Like there's so many questions with, you know, W's that you can ask. Why, what, when, where, how? I know, I know how is not a W word, but uh, (laughs) it's all these things that are around that thing that you can tap into. So, yeah, I, uh, it's, it's, it's just such a weird time right now. And, and I, uh, you know, I never thought I'd see anything like this because who, who would have expected this to happen? Well, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm loving the people that in 2016 are like, well, he's the president, so we got to give him a chance. And I'm like, you're going to be eating your words yeah. because this is probably the worst outcome that could have happened in the 20th century. Yep. So 21st century, what are we in? Uh, 21st century. Yeah. 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 yeah 21st. Um, so as, as smart as I sound, I am a complete moron. So <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Uh, all comics are smart well most comics are smart i know some open micers that'll that (laughs) make you change your mind yeah (laughs) they're the ones that are out there right now just like oh man i can't i i I gotta get on stage and it's like (laughs) man just i've heard some wacky like i understand the instagram live shows and stuff like that but some people are like let's get let's get uh the club we'll go to the club and then no audience uh-huh. and just like, you know, just do like a lot. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, just stay home. How fucking hard is it? Yeah. Can I swear on here? I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anywho. Yeah. So anyway, back, back to the podcast interview. <laughs> yes. 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 That's I, I do it every time I'm on a podcast like it'll start with questions and then it just goes off on its tangent yeah and i the those are the ones i like the best the funny thing is is when i interviewed Stu, it was just like hey how you doing and then he'd go a half hour and i wouldn't say anything (laughs) oh he's dude i love he and i uh, will just sit on a bench outside of his hotel and just talk for hours and smoke cigarettes yeah i love it yeah um, so let's talk about, okay, you get out of high school and you're in your twenties. Uh, how, what was comedy like for you at that point? Uh, well, I got out at 18. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to give the impression that he stayed in high school for yeah. two extra years. Um, <laughs> I couldn't drink. So, um, that was fine. I was getting the M's on the hands or whatever. And then 
started filling in as host at the comedy club. I was um, getting booked by the booking agency. I was traveling to certain places, um, had a car that was about to fall apart every time I went somewhere, but made it to every single place. Um, Yeah. uh, And then I started drinking and then I didn't realize how much or how, you know, deep the hooks went Mm-hmm. Um, until I watched some videos and I'm like, oh boy, I gained a ton of weight. Uh, so there's a couple times that I tried quitting and then I would just go back on the wagon and then, yeah, but it was just, it was a constant, you know, just getting up as much as possible and, uh, you know, doing sets drunk that I regret, but I don't know. So, um, how long have you been sober? Right now, I've been sober for two years, and we're approaching three months. Well, congrats on that. Thank you. So that's like the hardest, you know, if, if you're in the comedy scene, that is a very hard thing to keep up. Yeah, because you get paid in drinks. It's yeah. insane. Like, <laughs> already, because of Corona, we have no money coming in. And, and then also, there's times where it's like, well, here's some drink tokens. You're like, what the okay i guess i'll get a coffee from this bar where the bartender just told me the coffee here is terrible yeah so okay (laughs) it's real weird but it's just the precedent that's been set it's just like oh all comics are you know boozers and they're doing cocaine in the 80s and it's like i felt when i quit people like look down on you crowds look down on you and then other com well i feel like now more comics are sober because people are you know I feel like there's less of a stigma and taboo around, um, was it psychiatry Mm -hmm. and and therapy? So more people are realizing that, you know, the problems they have. So, you know, they'll kind of assess that. There's a lot of people in my circle that, that don't drink at all, but, um, um, they smoke, you know, they, Oh yeah. And, and, um, I think it's probably a better way to go. Um, and, that's just my opinion, but I, I feel like they're, uh, I mean, if they smoke too much, they don't do very well on stage, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah. I agree. <laughs> if they're, if you're, if I, if I look back on me drinking, I'm like, oh boy, those sets were terrible. Yeah. 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 And everything I read is that you're, you're not supposed to drink at all before you go up. And I'm, you know, I, I break that. I always have one beer just to settle myself down a little bit, but, uh, yeah. it takes a lot more than that to put me under cause I'm a big guy. So, Oh, I would have, I'd have so much and then go up. Yeah. And it was like, I don't even remember it, but it wasn't like, I, so bullet biter is, um, a compilation of sets ranging from like 2016 to 2019. Mm-hmm. So it's like three and a half years ish, but, um, there's some on there where I'm just, you know, near blackout. I don't remember them being recorded at all, but you can't tell it's, it's really weird. Mm -hmm. Well, I think David Bowie says he, he lost like 10 years of his life, um, Mm -hmm. because of the drugs. He, he doesn't remember even recording some of the albums. Yeah. He doesn't remember recording station to station where he was just drinking milk, smoking cigarettes, doing cocaine and eating red peppers the entire time. (laughs) So, I mean, whatever yeah yeah that's nuts um so going back okay so you're 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 you got hooked up with an agency tell me a little bit about that what's the what's the nuts and bolts of that 
Well, with that, it's it's funny business agencies. So they book um, a lot of stuff in the Midwest. They have some other states around the area that they book. But um, they you kind of submit to them, and then they choose to book you on stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's not like you sign up with an agency. You just submit to them. They pick you to go here, to go there, to go wherever. So it's not like you're signed with them. Okay. It's an interesting concept. It's hard to explain, mm-hmm. but it's not like, I mean, they send you an itinerary uh, and stuff like that. And you you do not just uh, um, actual comedy clubs, but you do the, the, the one night stands that a bar does. And, yeah. and um, we've got one here in uh, Mishawaka that does that on Tuesday nights. And there, I know an agency books that one um yeah. and that's an it's exa- it's exactly the same it's just another place where you submit to and they're like okay you'd be good for here and then they send you off right how much how much material do you think you need to have time wise before you apply to an agency i'd say at least 30 mm-hmm. um because a lot of agencies now don't book mcs um it's usually just feature and headliner and headliners, they want you to have an hour. Features, 30. Uh, which is funny because clubs are like, they'll have you do 20 as the feature. Mm-hmm. And then one-nighters, because it's usually a two-man show, they have you do like 30. Mm-hmm. So okay, it's real weird. But I would suggest 30. Um, you can float for a little bit of it, but you, odds are you're not going to have the chops to do it. So you're going to be like, Oh, where are you from? And then they're like here. And you're like, Oh, that's where we are. Okay. How about you? Yeah. It's, it's, it's not good. We've all seen that. Oh yeah. I love seeing people crash and burn. It's very fun. You know, you, you gotta get some sort of a perverse enjoyment out of that because you know how hard it actually is to be a comic and, oh, yeah. and when, when you get the, the ones that, uh, are kind of posers and got there by mistake and, and they finally realize it, it's kind of nice to see that once in a while. Oh yeah. <laughs> Multiple names came to my mind just, just now when you yeah. said that. <laughs> um, my, I think, I think the thing that registers with me the most is like, it's like watching a dude get kicked in the balls where you're like, Oh God, that hurts. Cause mm. I know that feeling. Yeah. I think that's why it's so relatable, but you also laugh because it's not you. It yeah. used to be me. Cause I felt that, but it's not me now. Yeah. Aha. <laughs> yep. And you know what? I think everybody feels it. And even if you're doing just a five minute open mic set, you feel it. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that you come back after that, that means you've really been bitten by the comedy bug and oh yeah, you, you, you still want to do this many, many times. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, you know, you, you, you're working the agency going all around. Did, did you, um, go multi-states or was it just pretty much within Michigan? It was, uh, usually, um, I think early on around 2013, 14, around there, mm-hmm. um, it was, it was like Michigan, Indiana, uh, Illinois, Ohio. So it's around that Midwest area. But then also I went down to Myrtle beach, South Carolina at one point that okay. might've been 2015. I went to Texas in 2015, um, Florida in 2015, 
let's see. Uh, oh, in Minnesota a couple times mm-hmm. before that. So it's been, you know, random states here and there. But I mean, with what's going on now, I have no idea what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows how many places are going to even be open. Mm-hmm. So when you started doing all these different states did you have like a favorite place that that you like to do did you have uh, a a place that you just thought you know nobody knows me and i just did a did the best act ever and they really um responded to it Mm, not offhand i bet Uh, you i bet you can remember the worst one you did yeah, there's been some pretty bad ones. Uh, <laughs> probably one of the first times I went to Myrtle Beach. Uh, yeah, those were real bad shows. But that was because it was like it was the farthest I'd gone at that point, And I'm going to a comedy club where you're going up like, you know, eight times throughout the week. And uh, and going to a new place every time is like it's this harrowing experience where you you haven't been there. You're learning the crowd. You're learning the room and the stage. And it's, it's this very different thing. I mean, the first time I went to Goonies, which is in Rochester, Minnesota, mm-hmm. that was pretty fun, but it was like, cause it's that Midwest mentality kind of thing. Yeah. And it's also a club that's right next to the Mayo clinic. Um, mm. not, not anymore. It moved across yeah. town, but when it was there, it was, it was just, it, the, the audience was so great because it was everybody trying to escape something. Everyone is just looking for a laugh Yeah, and it just really good crowds. Um, but yeah, I think that was probably one of the best ones. Acme in Minneapolis. I've done that, uh, at the open mic and then guest spot here and there. And mm. that, that one was really fun, but yeah. As- as far as what you're doing in Grand Rapids there, I have noticed that uh, the comics in the Michigan area are like, you guys are like a, a band of brothers and sisters, and it seems like you tend to lift each other up rather than tear each other down. Am I getting the right vibe there? Yeah, I think so. Um, people move and... Um, you know, gain some types of success, but we all kind of, you know, we're happy for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brad Wenzel is probably the most successful out of everybody. He's been on Conan a couple of times and just one of the sweetest guys in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's happy for him, but yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't really know many other comedy scenes because each scene kind of breaks down into its own little click. Mm-hmm. So you'll observe people, a lot of people turn on each other, that kind of stuff. But I don't really know of that happening here. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like a, a really, a really great scene. And the funny thing is, is uh, Michigan, I mean, there's comedy going on in so many little towns. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, Indiana isn't quite like that. They, I mean, a lot of them try and don't succeed. I, uh, a guy in uh, Valparaiso just before uh, COVID hit was doing very well um, in in the Valpo area, uh, Jeff Webb, and uh, I interviewed him about that. And, you know, he, he was doing very well at it, but a lot of places they'll try it for a month or two and then it just goes away. And uh, mm-hmm. in Michigan, it seems like there's a lot of long-running small-town shows. 
Yep. There's Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, uh, Traverse City. They have Kamikaze Comedy up there. That mm-hmm. one's a super fun room. Yeah, there's a. I think there's even a regular one at Saug in Saugatuck. And, Saugatuck. Yep. Um, uh, maybe South Haven. Uh, there's one. Yep. Muskegon. There's one there. Yeah. There's Muskegon. There's yeah. some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's, it's insane. Yeah, it's it's re- it's really neat how they can how they can do that and keep it going. And uh, I wish Indiana would do that too. Yeah, it's just you got to get enough people behind the scenes that have uh, money. Um, yeah, that's usually what it is. It's a business that can sustain that kind of, you know, money that's going out to the comics that are coming in Mm -hmm. and getting the crowds there. It's all, it's all up in the air. Yeah. (laughs) Most definitely. So when do you feel, when did you feel like you, uh, kind of found out who you were as a comic and found your voice? Hmm. Uh, I can, I actually, cause I'm going through all these old videos. I can see where the transition is to where I'm going from like, not good to, okay, I can see there's something here to, all right, he's finding it. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, yep, I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it goes from beginning to 2012, just awful. And then 2012, 2013 to like, he's finding it. And then 2014 to 2017. And then, well, I had it 2014 to 2016 where it's like, okay, he's getting it. And then I drank a lot and then (laughs) ballooned up. So it's like, okay, you're still, you're just, you're kind of setting yourself back, but it's like, you're still finding your footing. And then I think in the past two or three years, it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to keep trying to do this. But that's the thing too, is it's always changing. Mm-hmm. So it it's like, you know, I'll come up with these ideas for, well, I want to do this concept. It's like, well, I need to find out a place where I can try to feel comfortable to do these kind of things because they're different than what I've been doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all, it's all relative. Yeah. Do you feel like you need to get away and out of your out of your area in order to test material to see if it's really good? Well, I'm very lucky with the MC position where I can just go up there and be like, hey, I've never told this before. Let's try it. Let's mm-hmm. throw it out. And then, uh, you know, it won't work. I'll do it the next show. It will work. And then the next show, the next night, it won't work and then some person will really like it it's it's you get, that's the nice thing is like you get to go up so many times but to actually have a true sense of how it's going to do on the road is you have to go on the road yeah. or even just bring these new jokes you've been working on that have been working well to literally a different city that's 45 minutes away mm. you can bring those there and then let's say it does better there you're like well why didn't it do well where you know my own backyard right it's real weird yeah when do you su- yeah. decide that the joke is uh, it's uh, dead to you? You you think it's funny, but nobody else does, and you can't do it any any more different ways. When do you decide that? Um, I never throw anything away. Uh, I kind of just set it aside, or I accidentally forget about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think a joke is ever done. I don't think it's ever bad if you if you're funny right and you thought of something you your job is just to translate how it goes from your brain to their ears but 
there has to be funny in it. So that's your job. Mm -hmm. The idea is from your brain, their ears or their thoughts or how they are interpreting everything. It's, it's up to you to make it palatable for them. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's joke writing. one one. So if you're not up to par with that concept yet, just set it aside, come back to it whenever you're feeling comfortable and then try it again. Mm -hmm. I think in my short, my short uh, tenure here, I have uh, I've gone back to stuff that I originally wrote and rewrote it, and it mm-hmm. became part of my act. So you know, 100%. I can I can see that, and it, it it totally sucked when I wrote it the first time, and oh, of course, along with my delivery. So you know, it's it's something that when you come back to it with a new perspective, then you can you can actually make something that was bad good. Exactly, I completely agree. So. When you, uh, I want to get a little bit into the nuts and bolts of the Bullet Biter album, because you said you've got uh, several years of material here. Um, Comics want to put out albums, and you've got all this material. What does it take to get that on an album and get that done? Um, How do I start? Um. (laughs) So I think that uh, if you record an album, you run the risk of recording the bit and then it not being done. Mm -hmm. But it like, and then you, so you'll record it. And then like a month later, you're like, Oh God, I wish I would have put this on the album. Um, That's just going to happen. I've I've completely accepted that. I don't think any joke is ever done. And uh, there's no reason that like, you know, I, I don't know, I guess putting limits on yourself where it's just like, Oh, I should put that on there because you know, no one's ever going to hear it on an album or whatever. It's like, you're bringing it to a crowd. If you're still working on it, you're bringing it to a crowd that they're going to that's different than what's on the album. So you're creating this experience that's new for other people. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, I think if you have enough material and time and you, and it goes well, then you should just record the album. Um, cause it's really just something to sell so you can make money and not die of poverty. Right. So, or uh, with bullet biter, I just wanted to put a stamp on, you know, history and mm-hmm. I wanted to have people listen to something that they go, wow, that is different. And that is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ton of material that I was considering putting on it that I didn't end up putting on it because that can go to the next album. And some of those jokes were good and seemed finished, but I've just, you know, changed, changed them or whatever. And it was just because of time allotment that they didn't end up on it. Mm. So there was enough material to just have the material be an album, but I wanted to split it up. And there's some jokes that are on there that I'm like, I haven't, I haven't told since I was recording that specific night in 2018, you know? So that's the nice thing is you can, you know, branch, uh, branch it from year to year. So, Mm Hmm. I think what what was the question? <laughs> well, the the nuts and bolts of putting it together. I mean, uh, obviously, oh, yeah. y- you got to decide on the material, but how how do you get it like mixed and the tracks done <laughs> and the the boring stuff that the uh people who don't want to put an album out don't want to hear? <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> Uh, so for me, I, I had recorded shows from 2016 to 2019 in the club in Dr. Grins. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, 
it's it's ready. I got to start going through all this material. So I went through literally every set. I set aside sets where I said, okay, that could be on it. And then I set aside other sets where I'm like, this is garbage. Do not put this on it. Mm-hmm. So I put two, there's two different folders on my computer. So then I would go through every set and every, most sets were just like, me getting my footing as the host. So I'm like, this is garbage. I want to kill myself. It was probably (laughs) the most depressed I've ever been in my life. But then the good ones, once you get all that bad out of the way, now you're like, okay, these are the good ones. This is where it's really good. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it's going down to what can fit together. You want to create a narrative for the album. Um, so I'm like, I got to put all this here, that there. And then my original idea was actually to do 10 minute segments. So the first 10 minutes of the album would be the Thursday show. The second 10 minutes would be the Friday early show. The third 10 minutes would be the Friday late show and then so on and so forth. Uh, and then Saturday there's, uh, three shows for a certain seasons. So mm. There's five thirty, eight, and 10 30. That's the Saturday. So that's a 60 minute album right there. And I was like, I could do that. And then maybe I can, you know, have the same bit from one show to another and then it doesn't go well. And I was like, no, 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 because that's easy. I think that's like the easier thing if you're making it like, okay, here's a Thursday, here's a Friday, here's another Friday, here's a 10th, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to make it completely all together, just a seamless experience, because the idea was I want people to know it's multiple shows, but I don't want them to know where the cuts are. So that's where the whole thing took shape where I'm like, this is going to be very difficult. So I had to change all the audio manually to make it sound like it's one seamless show. And even if you listen now, there's some parts where the bass is higher in my voice than it is in the other ones. And then I think that's just because of how it was recorded. So I tried as best I could to make it sound seamless, but the whole idea is I want people to not know where that all, you know, uh, where the cuts took place, but I used mm-hmm. audacity to edit everything. And then I used Adobe audition to uh, finalize all the audio. So it makes it sound of higher quality. So this so. was all, this was all self done. You just, yeah, you did it. I did it all, baby. It was, <laughs> I I want to say, so it was like three and a half years to record it. And I'd say another maybe six months to edit mm-hmm. over the course of those, those three and a half years. And then also an, another, three months after I was done recording, it was, it was, it was so time consuming. And then I got pneumonia in September of 2019. Uh, So that like put me behind a month. And uh, yeah. Do you know that once you get pneumonia, your, your lungs are screwed up. And if you get anything else, uh, it's always worse. Oh, I've heard that, but I don't know if that's true. I feel like I can breathe better than I did before. Really? Uh, I'm, I'm treating it like when I broke my leg in fourth grade, mm. um, because now that leg is stronger than the other one. Uh-huh. So I'm tre- I'm in my mind. I'm using a placebo effect and treating my lungs. That it's way. funny. Uh, last year, no, it was this year. Um, early this year, I got really sick, and I had had pneumonia um, a couple years in a row. Um, mm-hmm. And the doctor said, "You you know, if you have pneumonia, everything you get is going to be worse." So, um, I, I I hope you're right, and the doctor was wrong. <laughs> I mean, he's probably right. He has a PhD, yeah. and uh, I'm a big dummy. And uh, oh, I did want to say this too about so when I got pneumonia, I I you know kicked it. Well, I was still coughing, but I was also um, I was still 
I was I wasn't contagious, but I was still coughing. Mm-hmm. So I was still doing sets while I'm coughing. Yeah. And I was writing material about having pneumonia and it was going well. And I'm like, well, maybe I could put this on the album. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. Just just you I, I had to timestamp it where I'm like, you're going from here to here. Otherwise, if you keep recording these sets and you're like, okay, this could be in the album, it's like, and now it's just never gonna be done. Because mm-hmm. you you keep like okay well that was great I got to put that in no 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 just it's, yeah just put a put a pin in it and say it's done now so that's what I had to do yeah the uh, I mean the normal album you know when a comic puts an album out it's it's usually one set that they record you know two or three times and they take the best bits out and yep. do it that way I mean yours is. I mean, when when you're going through years of material, that that just has to be a, a, an awesome task. I mean, just hard hard to get through that. Oh, I mean, I'll show people the Audacity file, and they're like, "I don't even know what's happening right now." And yeah. I'm like, "Well, it's because you know this." So I'll I'll be like, "Okay, this is the albino bit, and the reason this has you know 14 different tracks going on is because there were." you know, 30 people in the room during this point, And there were 150 people in the room during this point, And there were 12 people in the room during this point. So to make it sound like one seamless show, you have to add those exact, you know, laugh stamps from each part. So let's say I say one line where I go, uh, uh, some of you guys should lighten up, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the punchline in the bit. So I say that. And then in the one crowd where there's 12 people, they're, laughing but the way that i said it i think is the best so therefore that goes in but then the other one where they are laughing more it's 150 people i'm like i'm putting that in there Uh and it's you just have to mix it and match it specifically so it sounds the same yeah i mean the jokes go well i'm not like uh sweetening the laughs but it's it's uh you know you're taking it from different shows Mm -hmm. to make it sound seamless right so you're uh i'm i'm gonna totally switch subjects now thank you for telling me about the album oh for sure who, who did the artwork that was my buddy jacob breckenridge okay uh he lives out in oh god where is he now i think he's in tucson or phoenix one of the mm-hmm. two but uh yeah he's uh i met him in new york really great graphic designer mm-hmm. and artist and uh i, I just I randomly hit him up and I'm like, how can you, could you do something with this? I feel like you could. Mm. And uh, I, I love it. I think it's his art elevated it to making it an iconic yeah. album cover. Yeah, I love a, it. It's, it's, it's really good. And it, it really, it's, it punches out at you. I really like it. Um, so switching subjects, uh, you are a very socially conscious person. Um, I know that. And how do you, how do you slip that into your act without, um, without uh uh pissing off all the conservatives well i used to not care and i'll go through these ebbs and flows of caring and not caring so i have a big religion chunk in my in my act Mm -hmm. um which is still continually changing but um it started by pissing people off and then it morphed into not care like fuck you this is funny mm-hmm. you're dumb and then it changed into i have to figure out a way to make them agree with me 
Mm-hmm. So it's that palatable kind of thing. You're like, okay, I'm making it silly, but it's also serious. I'm, you know, it's not dumbing down. So it turned into that. And now I'm still trying to do that, but also not care if I hurt their feelings because I feel like a lot of people, A, want to have their feelings hurt. So they're always looking for something to make them feel better. Mm-hmm. And B, uh, I don't care about a lot of people's opinions and I'm also getting older. So all three of those things are going into it. Right. I, of course, want to, you know, make content that people can enjoy. But if you're going to get so uptight about a fucking Euchre Trump joke, then you're an idiot piece of shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll tell you that joke right now. Uh, and then and you're Indiana. So this will make sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm in a great mood. My phone finally learned to stop capitalizing the word Trump. <laughs> so that's that's a joke right yeah. there. That's that's a setup punchline. Feeling great that the tag is I mean I love euchre but not that much. So with that joke you've done a left field on the left field uh-huh. where you thought I was talking about the president because you're a conservative uh was obviously that's the punchline but then the tag you're turning it and you're like I was talking about that card game. Uh-huh. And then I analyze the joke where I say, that's an interesting joke because the beginning would work in any liberal city. And then the end will only work in Michigan and parts of Indiana. Yeah. (laughs) So that's another tag. Yeah. And then I say, I tried to write a bipartisan joke, but I'm going alone on this one. Uh So that's the end of the joke. (laughs) So you put that Euchre thing on there to make it palatable for conservatives. But then if you're a conservative or a Republican and you hear that whole thing. And at that point you're like, fuck this guy hates Trump. It's like, well then now you're just trying to be offended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I wrote a joke for you and the liberals. I wrote it for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's why this is a funny joke, but people are still going to be upset. And if you're upset by that, you're to walk out. You're going to hate the rest of what I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I'm done caring about people's opinions. Yeah. I, I mean, I care about facts. I don't care about feelings. Yeah. Well, you're, and you're at a place in your career where, where you can do that. I, you know, one of the things I tell young comics is, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of go through the silly, the silly clean period so that you can, uh, get an audience on your side and get people to book you before you can, uh, start being you sometimes. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow for some people. Yeah. But. You really got to swallow your pride a lot of times. I mean, you'll, you'll get to a point where a headliner will bring you on the road and then they're like, I want you to work clean. And I'm like, Ugh, okay. And then they do a bunch of dirty shit and you're like, I'm not even that dirty. I yeah. can be clean for you're really dirty. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. That's the thing is I'm not dirty, but I no, can be not. if I want to be. Yeah. It's, I like that thing of being able to be free on stage. So if I want to say jizz, I can say jizz. Mm-hmm. I don't have to think twice about saying it. Yeah. Um, if I want to say balls, I can say balls instead of changing it to loins. Right. Know? Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. That's. That's just the thing that you wrestle with. It's like, how much of your pride do you want to swallow? It's mm. it's a thing where I don't want to do this forever, but you know, to get the bills paid, you, especially now, you gotta. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, so, this is something I ask a lot of the people I interview when uh, you were starting out. What three things do you know now that you wish you knew when you were starting out? Uh, pacing. That's the number one timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that Steve Martin joke? What's the key to comedy timing? Yeah. 
Um, I wish I would have known that because I'll look at some of these sets and it's just me just going a mile a minute, a mile a minute. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, just slow down. Put a pause in your sentences. Because the more you pause, the more they're going to pay attention. Yep. If you just keep railing through and then they laugh and then you talk over the laugh. God, oh. <laughs> I'll, I hate I want to reach through the screen and punch myself. I hate uh-huh. it. Um, I would say don't get drunk for your first album recording. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was drunk for perspective. That's my first album. Uh-huh. There's some glimmering parts of funny on it, but it's, it's a lot of, uh, shit. Yeah. Uh, that's on Spotify as well, folks. Yeah. That one's, uh, that one. See the, the mindset for that one was like, we're going to do a show that is normally an open mic. Um, which was a dumb idea because the only people that are coming out are going to be open micers. So they're not coming cause they're not getting time. Mm-hmm. So some people showed up. It's, it was maybe 15 people in the room. So it's a comedy album in front of 15 people. Yeah. So I'm like, these are all comics and friends of comics that have heard the same stuff over and over again. So I'm just going to do a bunch of new stuff too. And, uh, the new stuff probably did better than the old stuff, but it's like, I wouldn't have done this for an album if it was anywhere else. So I guess, I don't know, you know, don't be drunk for the first album recording and then also record it in a full room. So I could have just abandoned it. I wish I would have, <laughs> but it's out there. That's great. Well, um, we've been going for over an hour now, Garrett, you know, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's funny. I, am amazed at how generous comics are um, with this interview process. I did. I, uh, Tom Dreesen was the first guy I interviewed and for, oh, for, wow. for, for this podcast. And, you know, we went for over an hour and he would have gone longer. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, Pete, I know comics like to talk about the craft and what it's really like to be a comic. And uh, that that's where I found a kind of a niche for this particular podcast. And uh, it's just really nice to know how generous comics are. I mean, a lot of them, you know, we don't really know each other. I've seen you a couple times and mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I reach out, you know, I, and I get people who either ignore me or say no, but uh, the vast majority say, yeah, let's do this. And um, you know, it's, I, I'm always amazed at the generosity of how uh, comedians are with the whole podcast thing. And um willing to talk about their life i mean i mean you're out there talking about uh uh you know how how you had a drinking problem and overcome that and you spent a lot of years as a shitty comic and you know all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and i i think that's great of course i mean that's the best thing is i feel like you should embrace the honesty of it because you do have comics like lenny bruce and george carlin and and bill hicks and Stuart huff where it's it's there's so much heart on the page there's so much uh honesty and i feel like those are my role models mm-hmm. you know and, and also i mean there's also the you know brian regan's and john mulaney's of the world which yep. i think they're incredibly funny as well and yep. they make me giggle they make me laugh mm-hmm. uh but there's still honesty to what they're doing yeah. i i love that there's nothing more than than that yeah well, the the last Ray Romano thing that he did on Netflix, I thought that was 
incredibly good and incredibly honest. You know, yeah, I haven't seen that yet, and I really want to. Yeah, I was I've got some time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, it was really good. The last thing I wanted to talk about, um, you were you were involved in kind of a, a big part of my life uh, as far as a comic. I I did the uh, Doctor Grin's funniest person in Grand Rapids. Is that what oh, it's yes. called? And the funny thing I told you, I just, you know, recently got a little bit more serious about it. And, you know, I worked so hard to put that set together and get the right eight minutes. And um, I wasn't doing any guest spots or anything like that. So I went to Kalamazoo and did a mic um, mm-hmm. and uh, at Harvey's. And then I did the um, uh, the Sunday Night Funnies uh, at uh, at whatever the bowling alley is. Um, yeah. And, Spectrum yeah, lanes. Yeah. I, I did that and just really worked it out. And, you know, I, I went up on stage and you, re- you recorded it and, you know, I, I look at it and I know I forgot a tag in one joke and I know I broke your rule of the pause, um, <laughs> in that set. Oh, I, I didn't even, I, I yeah. should have paused more, but I felt like, you know, that's the best seven minutes and 42 seconds I've ever done. <laughs> and it, it really, you know, doing that and, uh, preparing for it really, uh, made me feel more, uh, like a comic than I did before. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm, I, I, I'm happy for it. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you recorded it. Uh, I, I I make a lot of people watch it. (laughs) Oh, you should. It's a great set. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It was, it was a pleasure meeting you that night. And then I had never seen you before. And then I see you go up and I'm like, Oh, he's funny. Oh, this is great. I love when I see somebody that I'd never seen before and they're, they blow me away where I'm like, Oh my God. Cause I genuinely, every person I meet, I'm like, you're not going to be funny. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then when they are, I'm like, Oh, this is great. This is, yeah. it's such a nice little surprise. Yeah. I, um, I, I can't no, tell you how much funny. I enjoyed that. And, it was great. Yeah. And the funny thing was, is my, you know, I had one person in the audience, my wife, and, mm-hmm. uh, it was kind of, a, the roads were kind of bad, uh, coming up and you guys are a couple hours away from me and we decided after we got there that we weren't going to drive home we were going to get a hotel because uh uh the winds were so bad and we we thought we were going to get blown off the road and i we got the hotel i just didn't sleep at all i just laid in bed and thought about it and uh was hoping that it went over as well as I thought it did. And, and I loved it, you know, and, uh, I was just glad you got a good recording of it because I can show people, Hey, I really am a comic, you know, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I, I love the, uh, offering that to people. Cause I know people don't film themselves. I've been doing it since I started and, uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a nice, and I'm glad that I started doing it. I did it uh, last year and I did it this year and I'm glad that I did because it has really helped me out through Corona. Mm-hmm. So, yep. <laughs> uh, I will say one thing. I don't rehearse my stuff. Do you like, uh, there's so many people I talk to where they're like, Oh, I'll stand in front of the mirror and I'll just rehearse the thing. I think it's this amount of time or whatever, mm-hmm. but I did that when I started and then I stopped along the way. And I think that the best rehearsal is just doing it on stage. You can have the wording figured out, but you bring it to the stage and you won't. Let me, how do I put this? Uh, best advice. I read um, Sidney Lumet's 
uh, filmmaking autobiography, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Sidney Lumet, one of my favorite directors, directed Network. If you ever have a chance, watch Network. Yeah. Um, but he wrote this. What he would do is he would have the cast come in. Uh, everyone's cast. They have the scripts. They would do two weeks of rehearsals because he started doing stage plays, right? Directing stage plays. Mm-hmm. He has everyone come in, do two weeks of rehearsals. Strictly so. Once you know the thing front to back, that's when you can become improvisational because yeah. you know it so well that you're, you feel it. You're a part of it. Mm-hmm. You can throw this in. You can throw that in. You can do this, reel it back, pull up. You can feel that, uh, that emotion. And that's the best advice that, mm-hmm. because if I feel like that's what you're doing is you're rehearsing correctly. Right. And I feel like going on stage and telling those jokes, that's rehearsing correctly. You're yeah. in the moment. You're feeling that thing. Mm-hmm. It's once you know it that you can go off on a tangent and come back. Yeah. And best that's advice that, I can give. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what I did because I had been, I had been, I did a show in Goshen, Indiana and I did that exact set and mm-hmm. I had been working on that and I, and I had decided before that, that that was going to be my set and I wasn't going to waver from it. And, uh, that's what I had to do. And the only thing I did other than, uh, mics and stuff like that. And, and a couple little shows was to, um, I drive a lot and, uh, I would say the stuff out loud while I was driving. And yeah. that, that was, that was really all I did. And that was well, the I've most, on that. yeah, that was the most confident I felt, uh, on stage ever. And I, I just, I, I just, uh, it's just a, a good moment in my life. I, I don't ever, uh, you know, I'm 55 years old. I don't plan on being a, uh, a, a successful comic, but, uh, going through that makes me want to do it more. So that mm-hmm. was cool. Yeah. You should. And that's the thing is like, even if you're not a success, a successful comic, I mean, you're funny. That's more than half yeah. <laughs> of the, of the guys your age. I mean, no offense. That's, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah, there's, uh, it seems like, it's funny, I see people my age get on stage for like an open mic and stuff like that, and and all they've got is dick jokes, and and old dick jokes that everybody's done, so. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the the shining spots where I was watching your set, I'm like, oh, he's not, I mean, I mean this in the nicest way, I'm like, oh, he's not a hacky old guy, Yeah, you know what I mean? (laughs) I... (laughs) genuinely funny yeah. so that was very nice to see yeah i've seen enough ha- hacky old guys <laughs> oh yeah my yeah. dad uh, <laughs> no my doubt. grandpa yeah <laughs> all right garrett well this is this has been great I, I like where everything went today and i really appreciate you being on the show this is of uh, course uh you know a learning experience for me. And, uh, I think there's some good nuggets for everybody who listens to take away. And, you know, I, I just think of you as one of the nicest people I've met, uh, in in comedy, you know, you were, you you were really nice when I talked to you you after the Macintosh show and really nice when I did the, uh, funniest person thing. So, you know, I, I just think you're a nice guy and I just wish you the best in everything. I appreciate that. Um, that thanks for having me on. Um, and, uh, yeah, keep, keep being funny keep doing it, please. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> well, thanks a lot, Garrett. This has been the Behind the Bits podcast, and thank you for listening. Okay, bye. Okay.